Happy Friday, and welcome back to another exciting episode of the Apollo 13 Minute, where each and every day, Monday through Friday, we go over one minute of the greatest space history movie ever made. The 1995 Ron Howard-directed feature, Apollo 13. I'm one of your hosts, Jim O'Kane of TVDads.com. And I'm the other host. I'm Chris Henry of the EAA Aviation Museum. And uh, I'm your guest guest host today, I guess. My name is Hooray. Brian Fees. I'm a uh, cartoonist. I've done uh, books called, graphic novels called Mom's Cancer, Whatever Happened in the World of Tomorrow, and I'm working on a new one called A Fire Story. And uh, so I'm also a, also a 60s era space nerd, just like Jim, so uh, I think I found my home. <laughs> We both have seen the moon back when it was full. So it was, you, you keep bragging about that. I'll I tell did. you, Jim. Seen, seen full moons. So he holds it over me every every show here. I just <laughs> I saw more of the moon than you did. That's uh, funny. Well, uh, we're we're back with uh, poor Marilyn having the nightmare of uh, of, of worrying about her uh, her husband getting tossed out of a uh, out of a ship on a really horrifying trajectory. I mean, he's, he, they're in uh, interplanetary space or inter. <laughs> Into lunar cis lunar space, and uh, just a, you know flying away from that gorgeous model. Uh, that was a, a digital domain uh, model. I, I always thought that ILM had a piece of this, but they apparently didn't have anything to do with it. I was kind of surprised when I found that out. <laughs> so. I always thought something I meant to bring up was that the uh, um, you know we were talking earlier about you know how well they did with footage and stuff like that, and I always thought it was funny that NASA. Uh, actually went back to them after the film and asked where they got that amazing footage of the Saturn V launch. Oh, really? And, yeah, it was all model. I mean, it was all model yeah. work, but NASA didn't know. I mean, they were like, hey, that's that's beautiful. Where did you get that? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's wow. funny. Well, I wouldn't mind uh, kicking off talking a little more uh, storytelling because I, I sure. sort of feel that's, that's, why, that's why I'm here is to talk about that. And this minute has some really great stuff going on. And I want to, if you wouldn't mind uh, tie it back into the previous minute when uh, Tom Hanks, as Jim Lovell says, hey, we have a problem. Because to me, that's just the nub of this this whole section of the movie. It's it's Yesterday, we talked about how it was foreshadowing for the audience, because most of the audience watching this is going to know that later on, Jim Lovell is going to say something very similar to that. And so it kind of it sets them up for that. But But here in this minute, that same line which Marilyn dreamed also turns out to be foreshadowing for her as a character because later on Marilyn's going to hear her husband say something very much like that for real and to me that that dream will make her terror in the moment that much more acute because she's already got her brain primed that when she hears her husband say we have a problem he's got about five seconds left to live so so for me that line as a dream serves a real neat double-layered purpose and that it primes us the audience watching the movie to expect real bad trouble the next time we hear it and it primes Marilyn the character within the movie to expect the same which makes us empathize with her even uh, more stronger than we would have otherwise when it when it happens it's uh, priming the dread pump yeah I think it's really neat yeah Yeah, it's really neat a great way of telling the story I think it almost also trains you uh, in a small way to uh, know when to listen for the caution and warning uh, signals in the ship. That you know something bad's you don't know exactly, but you know something bad's happening when you hear that that that, that tone that you know, buzzing, on, the, yeah. on the spacecraft. Very true. I mean, it, it's it's teaching the audience what it's like to be aboard that spacecraft when something goes wrong, and and we will be later when something goes wrong. That's that's a great point. 
Yeah. Uh, I, I had a thought this morning while I was preparing to do this. And, Jim, you feel free to edit this out because it's a little no. out there. <laughs> it's but fine. I was thinking about Marilyn's dream and thinking about the whole idea of dreams as bad omens. And, and one of the you know, most famous examples in history and literature is, is Pontius Pilate's wife who dreamed about Jesus and pleaded, pleaded with her husband, Pontius Pilate, not to prosecute this good, innocent man. And I started thinking, I started thinking, Pilate, P-I-L-A-T-E, Pilate, P-I-L-P-I-L-O-T, Pilate, Pilate's wife, Pilate's, it's, it's a dream by a pilot's wife. And, and even though Jim Lovell wasn't the command module or lunar module pilot on pilot, uh, Apollo 13, he was a pilot, and, and I just had to wonder when I thought of that, if anyone making the movie thought of that pun when they put this dream in Marilyn Lovell's head, or if I'm just the first one in history to come up with this. Because uh, I just think it's that's just, uh, I, I delighted myself when I thought of that this morning. Wow. Well, I, I think anybody on the production probably had washed their hands of it. So. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful, but no, an interest, an interesting tie-in. Uh, it it is. I mean, that whole idea of of omens and being an oracle, and the I think the the, the situation that Marilyn finds herself in is she's not, you know, she's the astronaut's wife. She's not part of the inner circle. She's not an engineer. She's not an astronaut. But this this faint uh, malingering dread that that uh, something horrible is going to happen. And if you know, I mean, it kind of it, it turns into confirmation bias that you. You have this, uh, you know, if if you keep thinking bad things are going to happen and something finally does happen, you say, see, I knew it. And this might be, you know, she might have had this dream uh, during Apollo 8 and just didn't remember. This is this is the this is the dream that she always has when her husband goes into space. But this was particularly poignant to her um, when, you know, because she remembered back in Apollo 3. Oh, this ha- three weeks before he went up, I had the same dream. Oh, pardon my ignorance on this point, but is there any record that Marilyn actually had a dream like this? I don't know about like this, but she was having nightmares uh, prior to the Apollo 13 mission. Because I assume yeah, she, they invented this particular dream for the movie, but uh, did she? She wrote and spoke uh, about that. I didn't see it in. Uh, it's not in the book. It's not in Lost Moon, as far as as far as I could tell. I mean, but she did mention that she was having nightmares. They weren't this specific that he was being blown out of the ship and stuff. But, yeah. Uh, so I mean, this, this, as far as I know, and we we know this this dream, this particular dream was was. Um, invented for storytelling purposes. I think it's a wonderful storytelling device. I think it does exactly what you want it to. It's there for a reason. Yeah, yeah. And uh, she she wakes up, of course, here in the in the second half. You seem to have hit on the in the thirty second movie clips here because <laughs> we're uh, we're we're in the second half of this uh, this clip where she wakes up in the you know the quote unquote normal world of Houston, and she hears uh, her husband talking with uh, with their youngest son about how. I mean, this is a very thinly disguised exposition about how <laughs> how a, a lunar mission works. So. Very thinly. Um, you know, it's a nice family moment as Marilyn's kind of patting down the uh, the hallway and she hears this lovely moment between her husband and her son. But it's my least favorite trope in science-related movies, which is explaining the audience through a character who ought to already know it. And, it, you know, in this case, Jim Lovell's explained to his son, uh, Jay, how a flight to the moon works three weeks before he leaves. And I'm thinking, you know, I know the kid is young, but you'd think he'd have taken some interest in dad's job right before this moment. You know, I mean, it makes the kid look a little dim that his yeah, dad's it, telling him, I'm, I'm, I know a flight to the moon as fast as a bullet, son. Well, yeah, he probably, he's heard that before, dad. 
Yeah, and if if he's like any other, I mean, he's a little he's a little bit younger than we than we were at the time. But I mean, when you were when you were eight years old, you knew exactly every piece of, of yeah. the Apollo Saturn Five, <laughs> and you could point out which you know where the RCS controls were and where the pitch control motors were. Well, every every yeah. kid at the time was you know uh, a, a source expert. <laughs> yeah, and this kid had had extra incentive. But you know, from a storytelling perspective, this this kind of exposition is absolutely necessary. You know, the audience has to understand the action and the stakes. There's uh, Doc Brown has to explain his plan to Marty McFly, so we all know <laughs> what they're trying to do and all the ways it can go wrong. You know, you, but you have to be careful to do it right. And you know, I'm not sure Apollo 13 really clears the bar here. It it reminded me a little of a moment in in Hidden Figures, which is you know, a movie I really like, despite a lot of its historical and scientific uh, inaccuracies. But there's a moment where Jim Parsons is playing this engineer, leading a team of elite engineers and mathematicians and slide rule jockeys. And he's explaining to them what a parabolic arc is. And I'm thinking, if you don't already know that, you don't belong in that room. You know? <laughs> uh, and it yeah, sort of felt like that to me, too. But, you know, they got to do it. They got to get the exposition in. But um, I, like I said, I'm not sure Apollo 13 really clears the bar of yeah. making it believable and work here. My biggest question is why would that kid have a, a you know, two different Ravel kits uh, <laughs> in his room and he didn't know what they were? I mean, <laughs> well, that's true. I mean, I was going to say I had two different Ravel kits in my room, but yeah. I knew what they were. Yeah. Yeah. Now, did you have the uh, did you have the three foot tall uh, uh, Ravel with the where you have to you have to basically bend the plastic to uh, I and did. a little yeah how did you kid, know <laughs> didn't we all uh, I just remember I it had that nice carrying case I actually went out and got the one seventy second scale Dragon Saturn five and it's in my living room in a case uh, <laughs> it's, as, it's about as tall as I am <laughs> it's probably about almost six feet it's probably about six feet tall. See, that's the difference between buying a model when you're seven years old and buying a model when you're, I don't know how old you are, Chris, but let's say, you know, when you're in your 40s or 50s, there's a big difference in uh, yeah. how you how you treat <laughs> yeah. them. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And what you yeah. pay for them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, as a kid, this thing would have been on a lot of missions, I can tell you that. <laughs> yeah, it's, they, they had many uh, many landings on, on, my, uh, on my bedroom floor. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I stuffed sparklers into every plastic model I had and uh, lit them up and filmed them in Super 8 and... Uh, I, I didn't. Not one survived, and I think I'm. I think I'm better for it. Yeah, it's, uh, I think we had the, we had the same childhood. It was one of just uh, difficult to glue all the. Um, uh, I, we talked this, about this on a previous effort with uh, uh, Gemini. The hardest thing was putting those uh, those little uh, uh, fuel tanks, the round fuel tanks, and then glued just right so that the seam didn't show when you were filing it down. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I think that I, we. There's a scene in uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind where uh, uh, Roy Neary is climbing up the side of Devil's Tower. Uh, he's he's going up there with Melinda Dillon as they're as they're trying to get to uh, the dark side of the moon. And uh, she said, "I didn't know there was a pathway this this way." And he said, "Next time, work in three dimensions." And I think that's <laughs> that, that three dimensional use of models. I think helped us all understand a little bit better than just looking at the charts and uh, you know the foldouts from National Geographic. Um, well, that's a good I'll, point, and I'm still, as an adult, kind of learning how all that fit together. Just getting the, you know, getting the lunar module in there, and and the the different kind of fairings and coverings, and it's, man, those were amazing machines. Uh, yeah, well, I, I tell you where I think the scene kind of, it, it, it's in the next minutes. So we'll have to talk about it tomorrow, I guess. But uh, um, what I do think the scene sets up cool is. Uh, Jay's question about the hatch, which we'll 
like I said, we'll talk about tomorrow, but, um, and I guess it would, you know, really tie in emotionally. If you were a kid, you didn't understand everything, but I think you understood that it was dangerous and the concern for, you know, your, you know, imagine your dad going to work and he was going to go to the moon. <laughs> you know, I mean, I think you'd be, you'd be pretty terrified, uh, at some level. And I wonder if, um, you know, I don't know if that's just a vehicle for setting that question up as well, but uh, I always thought that was kind of a powerful moment. I know I'm getting ahead of myself here. So. Yeah. Let me. Let me. Jim, sure, Jim could just edit this all out later. Yeah, no, <laughs> we keep we keep giving him that option, and he probably won't take it. But uh, let me circle back because you mentioned Close Encounters of the Third Kind, and it, it flashed in my mind that Spielberg in recent years has said the one thing he regretted was having Roy Neary leave his family so so easily as he did. You know that he 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 has said that that's a young man's movie. An, an older man who understood family and and uh, so forth wouldn't have had the character to do that. And I think I'm going to tie it together with Apollo 13 because what we're seeing here is the strength of the Lovell family and Marilyn's concern for her husband and you know just the love between these 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 people and these characters. And um, you know Jim Lovell isn't a guy who would run off the Devil's Tower without giving his family. Um, you know, uh, uh, the the tools to deal with it, and uh, a loving backward glance. You know, I mean, he's, he's going to fly off to the moon, and that's got its risks. But there are risks he understands and knows. And you know, he's 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 not he's not toying with his family's love and future here. Yeah, and I think that if Marilyn had said no or get out of this, I I, I get the feeling that he would have he would have appreciated her her. I mean, he. He wouldn't be married to Terry Gar. It was, it's. I think they had they had a, a relationship that's that's equal. They they would very much you know pass things back and forth. Marilyn understood Jim's ambition to be part of uh, the space program, but and but she was brave enough in her own heart to say he had to follow his dream on this, and she would support him in that. So I think acting as a family versus what was going on in the Neary family, uh, it's a whole different dynamic. Yeah, and as I mentioned yesterday, I think that's something this movie uh, does really well is it explores that dynamic and says this isn't just a story about, you know, three brave men or 12 brave men or 24 brave men. Uh, it's, it's um, you know, the people who got them there, the people who supported them and, and uh, made it possible for them to do that, those amazing things. Yeah, well... Well, Brian, thanks for being on these past two days. It's been it's been great having you here. It's been um, awesome, yeah. Thank it, it you, really, Brian. It's, uh, hopefully, we can have you on again sometime uh, because I know I know how much you love the space program, as as could be seen in your book, "Whatever Happened to the World of Tomorrow." But it's uh, it's fun it's fun talking to another old guy who's been through this as a as, as a kid. Uh, there are fewer and fewer of us. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I read that it was uh, it was something like uh, eight years ago. There were more people on Earth who lived after the moon landing than before the moon landing so i, I feel feel very old so it's, well, it's, you know i consider it a, the great honor of my life that i lived uh i i remember apollo 11 i mean it's just uh, to me that's like you were there to watch lewis and clark dip their toe in the pacific you know that's yeah. it's we we saw history and um Age age has its downsides, and here we're talking like two old farts sitting around the <laughs> stove at the, at the general store. We're not. We're we're yeah, young we, and vital men in the prime of our lives. But um, we always ask for the senior discount, though. Yeah, <laughs> but you know that was a privilege, and um, it's it's uh, uh, it means a lot to me, and I know it does a lot to the people listening to this podcast too. Oh, for sure. Well, um, for for folks wanting to hear more of the words the words and uh, and music of uh, of Brian Fees. What, uh, where can they find your works at the moment? 
well, I, my books are available in Amazon and all the usual heroic independent look booksellers. So I did a book called Mom's Cancer, another one called Whatever, Whatever Happened to the World of Tomorrow. I did a webcomic called A Fire Story that was about my uh, my house and neighborhood and a good part of my county being destroyed in last October's uh, California firestorms. So uh, I'm working on an expanded version of that that should be published next year. Awesome. Wow. Well, I would recommend to everyone to go find find those and read where they're on my bookshelf. And I'd suggest that they be on yours if you enjoy a good story uh, well told. Uh, def- definitely check into those. Uh, we will be back next week with more uh, very wide-open, bare-faced exposition uh, with uh, with Tom Hanks and family. So join us Monday. Uh, if you were looking for us online, you can always find us at the usual places, Apollo13Minute.com. You can find us on Twitter at Apollo13Minute. Find us on Facebook, Apollo13Minute Mission Control, and uh, also on iTunes and Google Play or wherever your fine podcasts are given away. So uh, check back with us here Monday. Uh, Looks like we're going to have lost a signal in about 30 seconds, so we will catch you on the other side. But have a great weekend, and join us back next week on the Apollo 13 Minute.